Welcome to the first episode of the Debunked series. This first episode is going to be about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is going to be one of the most personal to me. It's something that I've really wanted to do for a very long time, and it's something that I really care about. And I want to lay out a few foundations first before we even dive into the discussion. The first thing I want to say is that the vast majority of my family is our Latter-day Saints, or in more common use, they're called Mormons. And it's someone, they're people that I really, really do respect and I really do love and cherish deeply. And this isn't about me trying to bash them in any way. I, I really am not trying to bash them. I'm just trying to show them that the churches that they, and the religion that they follow isn't that of God. That's the real thing I want to say. But before I go into any of their actual religion or why I believe that it's actually not the true word of God, I want to I uh, point out some things in their church that I really do respect and things that I really hope that they would carry over into the Christian faith. The first thing I wanted to note is that Mormons and Latter-day Saints have some of the most steadfast faith I have ever seen in any religion, period, bar none. They outdo Christians in their kindness and charity all the time. They are amazing people that will take anyone under their wing and will help them financially and spiritually and whatever, however they can. More often than not, they are really kind and loving people. You'll find some that aren't, but you can find that in every religion. But by and large, they are fantastic, fantastic people. I really respect their mission trips, that they spend a lot of time and money dedicating two years of each of their lives into going on these trips and actually spreading the the word of God. And, and even though I don't agree with all of the message they're spreading, I can still appreciate the efforts that they're having. And Above all, and above all this, in my opinion, their commitment to family is one of the most dear to me, especially being a member of a family that is largely Latter-day Saints. And I have really deep roots in the church, and i really, really appreciative of the fact that above all else in their, in their uh, way of life is their, their commitment to family. And I, I really respect that. So I don't want to bash any of that or say that any of that should change because that's amazing and it should be brought into whatever they do in life. I also want to make sure this is clear. There's there's a lot of teachings in in the Church of Latter Day Saints that I disagree with, but it's it's not about just little ceremonial things or different practices we might have. This isn't about if you drink coffee or not, or if you smoke tobacco or not, or if you drink a, a little bit of alcohol or not, or if you have different holy ceremonies or you wear different clothing. This isn't about any of that. All that stuff is very very uh, unimportant in 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 the, our differences. We just don't practice it the same way. The real importance here is, isn't about me being right and me just trying to say, I'm right, you're wrong. That's not what this is about. This is about trying to determine what the truth is about God and his nature and his revelation to mankind. This isn't also about titles. I'm not going to be bold enough to say that if you carry the title of Christian, you are automatically saved. The title of Christian means nothing other than to identify the beliefs that you portray to other people that that's what you say you believe in. Anyone that's a true Christian is going to be saved, but that could be under many titles. You could be a Protestant, you could be Catholic. I believe even believe that some people in the Latter-day, uh, that are Latter-day Saints might have a relationship with God that saves them. But their teachings that are teaching the Latter-day Saints are not the truth. And that is the root of this discussion. This is about salvation. This is about making sure that people actually hear the true word of God, that actually people will be able to have a relationship with him that is saving, that they're not going to believe in teachings that God uh, is is counting on them for their salvation, that no, we're counting on him for our salvation. 
We also want to make sure that we're following the true God, that I believe that in the Latter-day Saints Church, they're teaching a different God. And that's really, really damaging to to your relationship with God if you don't truly know him. So the, I'm really trying to get at here is that I'm trying to introduce to you the true God and show you how the Church of Latter-day Saints doesn't show that true God. This is also about my love for Latter-day Saints. As I mentioned before, I have a really deep and abiding love for their people and, and, and a lot of the things that they do and practice. And that's something I don't want them to lose. And I that's why I, I spend so much time and effort trying to understand them and try to convey my message to them. And it's also because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they use a lot of the same terminology we Christians use. And it makes our discussions kind of difficult because we'll be saying, we'll both be talking about what seems the same thing, but we mean completely different things. So that's as part of this discussion is going to take place. I'm going to try to define a lot of these terms. So I'm going to be using a few sources when, when we're talking about these discussions, and all of them are accepted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The first I'm going to be using is the King James Version of the Bible because they believe that this is the most accurate portrayal of Scripture. That's fine. I like the King James Version. I'll be using that for citing my sources. I'll also be using a Book of Mormon. This is a Book of Mormon that also has the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. I have read all of them multiple times, and I uh, try to familiarize myself with their scriptures as much as possible. I'm not portraying to be an expert of any kind, but it's not that I haven't even dove into this to understand what's there. I'm also going to be using the Dr. Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and I will be going some off of the, the Latter-day Saints website. The last source I will be using is called the Joseph Smith Papers, which is collect, it was a, a foundation started by Joseph Smith Jr. in order to uh, collect historical documents relating to Joseph Smith and all the prophets thereafter and different things they did and all those types of things. This book I have here is just a photocopy collection of many of those documents. This has no commentary or narration at all. It is purely just photocopies of those documents that are found on the Joseph Smith Papers website. So these are the different sources I will be using as we continue to talk about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormons. So the first thing I wanted to have kind of open up the dialogue is how do we determine God's word? Now, Latter-day Saints and, and, and Christians typically agree on this discussion, but we have a little bit different uh, ideas. So the first place that Christians, especially Protestants, like to start is with Scripture. Okay, If we can look into the Scriptures, we can dive into the Bible, we can determine what God's trying to teach us. I mean, that is the purpose of him laying it out there. That's why he spoke to so many prophets and told them, hey, you need to write this information down and distribute it, and I'm going to uh, help you inspire this word so that more and more people can hear about me and understand me. So that's, that's the purpose of the Bible. That's why the Bible's there. It's really important for us to read that and actually understand it and try to understand what God's teaching us. Another thing we want to look at is the prophetic texts in that Bible. We want to look at the Bible and we want to see what it's, what it's teaching. But when we're determining God's word, there's a few things we have to look out for, right? We don't want to just take anyone at their word, right? We, every, every person might have a different idea. They come to you and they say they speak for God, but we got to question that. We got to say, do you actually speak from, for God? And, and the Bible encourages this, right? Uh, in, in 1 John 4 1, uh, this King James Version, beloved believe not every spirit, but try the spirits or test the spirits, whether they are of God, because making false prophets are uh, many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
So God's warning us. He's saying there's going to be a lot of false prophets that come your way, and you've got to be ready for them. you got to test them. Try them out a little bit. So I have a few verses here of different tests that have been given to us. There's a handful of tests that have been given to us to try to figure out who's a true prophet and who's not. But let's let's go through see a, a few of them and see how Joseph Smith stacks up to these. So one of the most common ones is this one in, in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an, or though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So what's that saying? It's saying, hey, there's going to be prophets come out to the world and they're going to try to lead you astray. So one of the things you can check for is, are they going to lead you after a different Christ? Are they teaching you a different gospel? And, and they're saying that not only is it just man that might come to you, but even an angel from heaven, even if an angel from heaven comes to you and teaches you something contrary to what we've already taught in scriptures, they are to be accursed. It's a very strong uh, a word of language there. It's not something that they should just be, you can like kind of treat them well. No, to be accursed, to push out, to deny anything they tell you because they are trying to deceive you and tear you away from the word of God. The other tests were given. So that's one. We, we got to test to see if the prophet's teaching something different that's already been taught. Okay. The other thing we look at is in Matthew 7, 15 through 16. More uh, Latter-day Saints know this verse well. Uh, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, inwardly are ravenous wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or, th- or of thorns or figs or thistles? Basically, what this is saying is there's going to be uh, prophets that are uh, false prophets that come to you and they're going to look like real prophets. They're going to look like nice guys. They're going to have a, a silver tongue. They're going to be able to talk to you really, really uh, convincingly. But inward, inside, they're, they're secretly in, uh, ravenous wolves. So it's kind of di- it's kind of difficult because on the outside, they may look great. Kind of look, you got to dive into their lives, see what they're actually about, see what they've done in their pasts. So that's one of the things we're going to look at with Joseph Smith. And the last verse I want to look at is in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Prove all things, hold fast, which that which is good. This verse is actually referencing prophecies. So when there's actually a prophecy that is given, you're supposed to actually test it, see if it's actually if it's true. You got to prove it. And if it's not, he's a false prophet because a false prophet or a prophet doesn't give false prophecies. And there's there's a, the best way to test a false prophecy is kind of difficult because some prophecies are contingent. What that means is uh, it will give a prophecy, but that prophecy will only come to pass if this thing happens. And that's mentioned in the prophecy. But some are uncontingent. This will happen no matter what. And those are the prophecies we want to look at because if they didn't actually happen, if they have a, 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 a stamped date and time when that was going to end, those are things we want to consider. So let's talk a little bit about who Joseph Smith actually was because we're, we're trying to see, is he a ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing? We want to, we want to understand these things. So Joseph Smith was the founder and he was the, the first prophet in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He founded this church on April 6th, 1830 in New York. Um, he wrote the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine, many of the, much of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, it was, it was added to later as they, they had more revelations that came out. Um, but Joseph Smith was an interesting character. Um, there's some misconceptions about who this guy really was. So let's, let's try to set the story straight here. So at an early age, Joseph Smith grew up around a, a really religious time. He grew up in America during the Second Great Awakening, which is a really important time because that's when a lot of people were trying to 
uh, come up with a different religion. It's where a lot of religions kind of exploded out of uh, of, of everywhere. Different uh, sects of Christianity just popped up all over the place. So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of people debating on on exactly what was the true religion. He grew up in a really poor family, which is pretty common at that time. And he didn't have any like higher education, but because he grew up in the second great awakening and his parents were very religious folks, they did discuss a lot about religious principles and a lot of these different religious ideas. And so that's something to be, uh, uh, interested in. And also, uh, Joseph Smith, he was a really big fan of what they called folk magic. They had different people who were portraying to do, uh, different types of, uh, uh, magical, uh, not magic tricks, but like actually they were calling them like magical, uh, uh, tasks and, and different things like that. And one of the things he actually was fascinated with, with, with the things called seer stones. So that's really interesting, uh, because we'll, we'll come back to that later as he used seer stones to actually translate from these plates that he discovered to make the Book of Mormon. Anyway, he had, he had, he met this girl named Emma Stone and he, he really wanted to marry her, but her father rejected him. He's like, no, this guy's poor. He's not good for you. And so he started, uh, Joseph Smith to make some money. He started a treasure hunting company where he would go around and, and hunt treasure and, and, uh, sell it to people to make money. And so, while there, he claimed that he received, so while doing this, going through this process of his life, uh, he actually got some uh, visions from angels and he actually met, he, he claimed that he met God and he said that he's going to go find these plates buried in a hill. And so he went and got those hills and he, uh, he wasn't allowed to go to get the plates right away, but he told him years in advance that they were there. Um, so him and his, uh, so he, he, he reportedly got them and then his business partners searched his house and they didn't find them. So Joseph Smith had to move away. Uh, Joseph Smith moved away from that, that town and he met this man named Martin Harris, who was actually a really decent guy. I mean, all, by all accounts, this guy was a, a trustworthy guy, but he seemed to be a little superstitious by people that knew him at the time. They said he was a really superstitious guy. So he helped, he helped Joseph Smith scribe these plates. Basically what happened is Joseph Smith would sit behind a, a curtain in between Martin Harris and him. And he would, uh, peer into, it's unclear if it was a hat or if just a curtain, peer into a hat that contained the seer stones and the golden plates that so-called, uh, that God supposedly gave to him. And he was reading them and transcribing them from uh, what did he call it? Reformed Egyptian to English. Was just, he said that the plates were transcribed in Reformed Egypt by early Native Americans that came from Israel, supposedly, and uh, he was transcribing it to Martin Harris. Now, Martin Harris began to kind of doubt some of what was happening because Martin Harris wasn't able to see the plates, uh, at least yet. And so he took 116 of the first pages to his wife. These are well known within the Latter-day Saints church. And he brought him to his wife and his wife uh, was going to test Joseph Smith. And so she tested him by put, hiding the 116 uh, letters. And she told Martin Harris to go back to Joseph Smith and then retranslate those. And if he was able to, and they were they were close or, or word for word or at least close, then he would be able to tell if he was actually just making it up as he went along or if he was truly translating it from something that you could see. So he did that and he went back to Joseph Smith and he was like, Hey, I lost those pages. We just, we can restart again. I'm, I'm ready to go. And Joseph Smith got really angry with him and said that God was mad at him too and that he was no longer allowed to translate from those pages ever again. The reason I'm bringing all this up is to kind of portray this story of mistrust that Joseph Smith was kind of spreading. And Joseph Smith didn't just have Martin Harris for help. He had a few others that actually helped him work with this too. He, um, he had two others. I'm pulling up their names right now. Uh, Oliver Crowder 
uh, Cowdery and David Whitmer. And both of them were uh, treasure hunters as well and con artists later. And actually, Oliver Cowdery, I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. I apologize for that. But he actually left the church later in life and converted to Methodist. And so that's one of the things that's really interesting too about this is if you were actually one of the main people that saw these plates and, and believed that they're from God, why would you switch religions? Why wouldn't you just stay with the the true church of God if that's really what it was? But it seemed that Oliver Cow- Cowdery kind of uh, felt that it wasn't the true church. That's why he converted back to Methodist. And uh, it seems that this these different people all had um, – reasons to believe that they weren't to be trusted. Martin Harris was the most trustworthy of them all, and he is actually looked on by almost everyone to be incredibly superstitious, having stories of him seeing Jesus in the woods and later realizing it was a deer. These are all things that you can find in the Joseph Smith papers and different autobiographies by different people that knew them at the time. These aren't things that you just find on the web, and these are from Latter-day Saints historians, and they're really important that we actually discuss in the context of this idea. So Joseph Smith, he he seems like an untrustworthy person. He's conned people in the past with his trust, uh, his treasure hunting company. He's working with people that are at, at best uh, superstitious and at worst com, uh, con artists themselves. And so the the very foundations of the people we're working with are are not very trustworthy. And Joseph Smith himself, uh, he actually had some things in his personal life that were kind of a uh, Kind of d- disturbing. Uh, w- one of the things that we we learn later in life is that he was he did a lot of things other than just start this church. Uh, after the publication, he got lots of criticism and validity about if this was actually a true church. So J- Joseph Smith went around and he he got the the three men that helped him uh, transcribe the Book of Mormon, and he made them sign statements claiming that they saw them and had visions too. Um, but it, it's it's pretty. Weird that if that was actually the case, that they would eventually they would later leave the church if the if they actually received true visions from God, and then he had later he had eight family members sign statements that they saw the plates before an angel uh, conveniently took all the plates and and left with them. Um, but, but Joseph Smith seemed to reveal more of his uh, ravenous wolf inside of him uh, when he started to get into power. Uh, once he publicate he publicated the Book of Mormon, he got into political and re- he got a lot of political and religious authority. Joseph Smith became mayor, and eventually he even ran for president of the United States. He was married to Emma Stone and forty three other women. Some sources vary on that number a little bit, but it was quite a bit of women. Uh, some were his own, his own stepdaughters, and some were he married other he married women who were married to other men. Uh, that he had sent out on mission trips. He was arrested at least 43 times for several different crimes from disorderly person, illegal banking, treason, threatening judges, conspiracy to murder, etc. A publisher spoke out against him, so he destroyed the publication and called for martial law in his town. He, arrest- he was arrested once more, and he was given the death penalty, but an angry mob killed him before his death date. Joseph Smith became a martyr because of this. And it was one of the most beneficial things that actually happened to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because one of the things that kind of sparks a revolution in a religion is if you have a martyr and Joseph Smith became that and Brigham Young took up the mantle as his successor and led them to Utah to form their own country. Brigham Young was a pretty ravenous wolf himself. He played religious and political uh, positions and publicly supported things like polygamy. 
Uh, eventually, the U.S. government came in and claimed Utah, and Brigham Young was forced to step down. Eventually, pol- uh, polygamy was officially banned in the in the Church of Latter-day Saints today, which is a fantastic thing, um, but it was taught in the earliest days of the church. Now, I don't bring this up because just to bash Joseph Smith, just to say that, oh, because he was a bad person, all of what he must have said and done was wrong. And that's not necessarily the case. The reason that's not necessarily the case is because God can use broken people to actually do good things. But usually they're never con artists or actually never have they been con artists, uh, treasure hunters, or any of the sort of the things that Joseph Smith went to. And many of, of, of God's people have been arrested and put into prison. So none of these things completely disqualify Joseph Smith, but they do point towards the suspicion of him being a true prophet of God. So the next thing we got to look at is what are the other two tests that God gave us? Well, we can look at his different teachings. And Joseph Smith had many teachings that I significantly agree with, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young alike. They both had taught things like polygamy and something that I think is pretty disgusting in in Christian uh, doctrine today. Brigham Young also taught things like the Adam-God doctrine, which you can find on the Joseph Smith papers, websites, and I have photocopies of it right here, which I can post if need be. Um, This doctrine was basically that Adam was himself a God, but not just a God, the God that created this earth. A lot of different weird and uh, strange types of teachings. But put all that aside, because those teachings aren't as important as really, really important ones, such as he gave the you, the important teachings of Joseph Smith are the ones that contradict the Bible. Those are the ones that are really you can if he's just adding on things and maybe he's God's revealing more and more to us that we didn't know, right? He's revealing different truths, new truths. That's possible. But if he's teaching us things that have already been disproven or already been specifically said that that's not the case in the Bible, that's a lot more alarming. One of the best examples of this is Joseph Smith actually teaches all throughout the Bible that there are many gods. In in Latter-day Saints teaching, they say that there is three gods of this world. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they all work together in one purpose. So there's at least three gods of this world, and there is an infinite number of other gods of other worlds, and you can become a god yourself. This is troublesome because, as I'm about to show you, in Isaiah, let me pull up the verse here, Isaiah 43.10, Ye are my witness, saith the Lord, and my servant, who I am, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. The most important parts at the end, I'll read it again. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall be there after me. So an all-knowing God saying, there's no God before me, no God after me. So that kind of, that contradicts. Uh, what Joseph Smith was teaching as the Bible. The Bible also teaches in Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and the Redeemer of the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. So an all-knowing God says that there is no God. It seems that, it doesn't seem, it says it plain as day that there is only one God. It's one of the most understood teachings in both Judaism and Christianity, something that was taught for many, many years because people for a long time in the ancient culture believed in polytheism. They believed that there was many, many gods. And God kept saying, no, there is no other God. There is only one God, not three, not infinite one. It's really, really important because Joseph Smith was teaching something that was false. The other thing that one of the most important things that Joseph Smith taught that was 
contrary to the Bible, is in 2 Nephi 25.23. So I will bring it up here for you. 25.23. Uh, for we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled for God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. So it's a saying, you're saved by grace and by works. You're saved by grace, sure. Amen to that. But you're also saved by whatever, all, after all you can do. So that's really, really different from what the Bible teaches, which teaches that you are saved by grace alone. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest no man should boast. So Jesus, uh, the Bible and Jesus contra uh, taught a lot of things that were contrary to what Joseph Smith was teaching, which means that one of them has to be wrong. And Joseph Smith's entire foundation for his faith was based on the words of the Bible and Jesus. And one of the most common rebuttals to that argument is saying, well, the Bible has changed quite a bit at times. The Bible was, you know, we can't really trust all the words that are in there. That's why we have to have the Book of Mormon. But as I'm going to show you in a little bit, the Book of Mormon isn't any more trustworthy than the Bible and actually has a lot more uh, historical inaccuracies and changes in the scripture than the Bible does at all. But we'll be back in just one second. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back to talking about it. Thank you. Welcome back. We were we had to take a quick break, but we're right back into it. So when I left off, we were talking about the differences in between the Bible and the Book of Mormon and what Joseph Smith taught, right? And so one of the things that uh, a Latter-day Saint will often say, will often argue is, yeah, I can see that there might be some uh, differences in, in the two teachings, but that's probably due to the fact that the Bible has just been changed a million times and you can't really trust what's in there. Well, first of all, that's not true at all. You can actually look at the original Greek we have today. We have trans, uh, transcripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which contained ancient uh, documents of the Old Testament. We have original manuscripts for many of these books, and you can actually look at them and read them yourself, and they get translated directly from Greek to English for our consumption. You don't like that translation, you can always learn Greek and read those translations. That's why there's so many different translations, but they're very, very uh, uh, similar in, in meaning. They just have different verbiage, similar to the King James Version and the ESV for that matter. But they always seem to say that the Bible is the one that's had a million changes in it. And the Bible is the one that we can't trust because of the, the different scriptural changes that they have in it. But if you keep that logic to the Book of Mormon, it doesn't really work because there's actually two Books of Mormon. There was one that was written in 1830 when the church was founded and the one we have today. And we have copies of both of these, very interestingly enough. And this book is actually full of different photocopies of the two uh, books. So let's bring them up really quickly here. And you can see that it's not just... Um, word changes, which a lot of them are, which you can write off as, oh, they just had bad English. They just used the wrong word there. I understand that. But there is complete paragraph changes in many of these. And you probably can't see this, but this is the original, the uh, 1830 uh, 
photocopy. And these are the things on the side that were added to it in the Book of Mormon. And this is a constant thread. Entire sections were added to this to change meanings. They were taking out sentences, putting in different sentences, not just correcting verbiage. And this is way more atrocious than anything you see within the Bible. The Bible, there's places where words have been changed to just fit better English. For example, instead of just saying that, um, uh, he made mankind in his image. He'll just say man and woman in his image to make it a little bit more clear that he didn't just mean mankind. So it's a little bit more literal. Uh, but in the Book of Mormon, they just added complete sections. And that's really, really concerning. And there's also a lot of historical ac- uh, inaccuracies within the Book of Mormon. There's claims of different animals and crops and, and currencies and different t- ways of life that never existed in America that archaeologists uh, uh, have never been able to find. And, and historical data that's not even true and, and different DNA that they say came from Israel that doesn't exist in America. There's a lot of teachings here that just show that there's so much reason not to believe this is the word of God. And you can't even compare the Book of Mormon and, and Bible side by side. And the Bible is much, much more old. There's a lot more in here and there's not any historical accuracies in the Bible. There's not any of these massive paragraph changes or sections taken out and changed the meaning of, it's only found in the Book of Mormon. And so I'm going to go over, the last thing we're going to talk about a little bit is a lot of these different uh, arguments that um, Latter-day Saints will bring up against against me. So for the first one I brought up is the Bible is full of mistakes, which is just not true. You can go back to the original Greek manuscripts. We have tons of copies of it. They ha- It didn't change um, and the little amounts that did change were just to change the better to better English, but we still have the original Greek manuscripts. Uh, one of the other things they've said to me all the time is if you just, it's not about, uh, it's not just about reading and, and understanding and trying to logic your way out of it. It's, it's about the spirit. It's about your relationship with God, which I believe that's, that's important, a relationship with God and the spirit telling you to do stuff. But there's a problem with that. One of the things that I was called to do by Mormon missionaries that I've talked to, I've talked to many of them, dozens at, at this point, they said, you know what, read the Book of Mormon, pray about it and see what God says. See, I've done that three times now. I've read through the entire Book of Mormon three separate times. And the first time, I'll admit, I just read through it and I was like, oh, this is baloney. The second time I read through it, I was like, okay, I got to do this the right way. I have to read through it and actually ask God what it's, if this is true or not. I prayed about it. I read through it. I read through it with missionaries. I went through every single page, read through it. And at the end of it, I felt God telling me on almost every single page, on almost every single teaching, that this was an abomination, that this book is lying to me. But that's not, that, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's uh, my, I, my spirit is wrong because that's still possible. I'm still going to leave that on the table because I. If I say that just what I believe is true, then I can't actually evangelize to anyone. I, the Latter-day Saints agree with me that Muhammad, the, the prophet of Islam, is not a true prophet. Me and you would both agree on that. Me and any any Mormon would agree on that, that, is, uh, that Muhammad was a false prophet. And if we talk to a, a Muslim and he's, and he's telling us, well, I read the Quran and I felt in my heart that it was true. We would both tell him, well, your heart deceived you. You must have been, you've been deceived in some way because the Bible actually does warn us about this. It says the heart above all things is deceitful. This is important to note because you can't just rely on your heart. God gave us reason and logic and a brain that functions so we can use that brain to actually determine truth. And then God can help guide the way. But when I read the Book of Mormon, I felt 
that it was lying to me. God told me this is not the word of God. So you can't just tell me you need to keep reading it and God's going to tell me something different because I've heard it three times at this point. He's told me twice it was not the word of God. It's not the word that he gave man. Another argument that I've heard is that the Trinity in, in Christianity makes no sense. That the idea that it's uh, three God, three um, beings and one being or three persons and one being just isn't logically, uh, doesn't logically make sense. And I would say that it's, it's not, first of all, it's not logically impossible. It's not a, a logical fallacy in any way. And two, the Trinity is, is a explanation for God's nature. And I think it's completely plausible that something about a being that is so much more powerful than me might be difficult to understand, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Just because I can't understand something doesn't make it not true. So I don't think this is a good argument for whether or not all of Christianity is false just because you don't understand one doctrine within within it. And we can even have – there's even within Christianity, there's different – there's disagreements on what the Trinity actually looks like. It's a really hard topic to manage. But the Trinity isn't a, a salvation-breaking doctrine. It's just a doctrine that explains God's nature. And you can have disagreements on that, and that's okay but it still falls within the realm of Christianity. You don't need Mormonism to explain the Trinity. Christian doctrine is confusing. And this is one of the other arguments. They say, well, Christian doctrine is obviously confusing because there's so many different sects of Mormons, like there's or, I mean, of Christians, there's Catholics, there's Protestants, there's Russian Orthodox. And then within each of those, there's dozens and dozens more, hundreds of more. And so they say, see, the reason this, the reason you guys have this issue is because you guys don't have a living prophet like we do. We have living prophets that are still around today teaching us different things. And because you guys don't have that, you guys have so many different uh, religions. And that's the problem with Christianity. Well, if you take that same logic to Mormonism, there is hundreds of sects of Mormonism from Reformed Latter-day Saints to tr- traditional Latter-day Saints to just regular Latter-day Saints to a million in between that still practice polygamy to this day to who believe in all sorts of different things and they have their own living prophets. And you and me and you would both agree that if we were talking to a Reformed Latter-day Saint, you would say that guy is practicing a false religion. He's fo- following a false prophet. And I would agree with you. But then what's to say that your prophet isn't also lying to you? That your prophet isn't also a false prophet? Is it because God told you otherwise? Is or Can you actually trust your heart? Are you sure that it was God that told you that and not your selfish uh, desires convincing you otherwise? Hearts have, people believe all sorts of things and they're very passionate about them. They're willing to die for their beliefs. It doesn't mean they're all true. It, we mean you both agree. A radical Islam that flies a plane into a building and destroys it. That guy really does believe in his heart and his God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing these crazy things but he's still following a false God. So it's really important. And the last thing that I've heard very often is that Joseph Smith couldn't have possibly made it up. And this one is probably the most interesting to me because it doesn't seem very hard for someone to make it up at all. I mean, Joseph Smith wasn't alone. He had three other guys helping him. He was surrounded by religious talks all the time. He listened to different pastors. Uh, most of the, many of the Book of Mormon you can find in other books that are there were straight plagiarism from different from other books to the Book of Mormon. I actually forgot the name of the book uh, that he that was really really similar in context. I'll have to post that in the comments. But one of the things that you can see is if you read that book, which I will I'll get the name of you and get back to you, and you put it, the Book of Mormon is they're almost identical. So it wasn't like he really created that much that much information himself. He was just plagiarizing a lot of it. And he was working with three other guys that helped him do it. 
And putting that all aside, Joseph Smith was also like a creative person. He was able to write a lot of these different stories all the time and different pearls of great price, doctrine and covenants. There's all he's a really creative person. And and being creative isn't that unique. I mean, think of all the greatest authors through all time that wrote fictions all the time. I mean, from from the Harry Potter series to the Person Jackson series, these people just made it up out of thin air too. And they're even more complex and more historically accurate than the Book of Mormon. These things are really important to consider because Joseph Smith just isn't just isn't like out of bounds of being able to create something like this. It's completely plausible that someone who's trying to con people and trick people would write something like this and be able to convince people that it was truth. So I'm going, uh, my, my purpose for all this is not to make you feel like your religion's being attacked because I don't want, I don't want you to feel attacked. I, I do think that the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a false church. I think that their teachings, many of them are atrocious. Some of them are just, I disagree with. And some of them, most importantly, can shatter your relationship with God. They can actually determine whether you're saved or not. So my call to, to Latter-day Saints, to Mormons, is to really analyze your, your beliefs. Don't just believe whatever you're feeling, whatever your heart believes, whatever you believe God told you. Look at God's word. God wrote this, God gave us this Bible for a reason. He gave us the Bible to enlighten us, to teach us about his word. He gave it to us so we could determine truth. So we could put this side by side with other teachings in this world and go, this is false because look, I got the scripture right here that tells me. And it's really important for you to do this because you can determine your relationship with God. Look into everything I said. Don't take anything I said for, take it, look at, look at everything I just said. Analyze it, go to the uh, Joseph Smith papers, read through them. There's hundreds and hundreds there. It takes a long time to go through. Look at it, read it. And if you honestly look at the evidence, I think it's really hard to believe that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was a true church. So I'll be praying for any woman that watches this to actually study this and, and think about it and ponder it. And I, uh, I wish you all the best. I really do. So if you enjoy this episode, we're going to be having more episodes like this. We're going to have episodes debunking political ideologies as well as other other religions. And I uh, I hope you guys like and share and share this with a Mormon friend or family member. I really think that this, this message needs to get out to them because I care about them very deeply. And uh, that's all I have for you today. And uh, God bless. Thank you.